God, it's our privilege to gather here this morning uh, to lift up these songs, to praise you, uh, to confess uh, that uh, we live because you live. We have what we have because you've given it to us. To proclaim, God, that with, without you, we can't do any of this. And then to ask you, God, to give us clean hands and pure hearts. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, uh, the best life we can live is life with you. And that starts inside. That's, that starts in our hearts, God. So give us hearts that are desirous of you, that, that treasure you. Uh, that uh, everything else about us, our actions, our thoughts, our words... Uh, would flow from a heart set on you and you alone. I'm grateful, God, to uh, be able to stand here and uh, pray these things. Thank you for the men and women in our uh, military who have made that possible throughout the years, many of them giving their lives uh, for the freedoms that we enjoy. Uh, we praise you for uh, what you've given us in our country. There's lots of problems, uh, but we uh, have what we have because of your grace to our nation. Thank you, God, for this offering that we're about to bring. Everything that we own is, is from you. And so what we give back is just a portion of what's already yours. Uh, use it for your glory. We thank you for this word that uh, we're about to study, uh, this, this text that we're about to uh, unf unfold here on this, uh, in this, this, this room. We, we just want you to inhabit the words of this preacher. In fact, um, displace me, God, uh, by your spirit. Uh, teach us the things you want us to know. Uh, but thank you for this sweet time of praise, for this opportunity to worship you uh, through offerings and through taking of your uh, sacraments, through uh, praying for and with each other. Uh, it's a blessing to be your church today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. We've, uh, we've been talking about this text in Matthew chapter 5 that has helped us understand uh, what God hopes for us. Uh, in our homes, as we talk about in this series called Fixer Up, our, our families, we understood that God's, uh, you know, basically the originator of family. He created man, woman. He told them to go forth and multiply. It was his idea all along for the family to be the building block of all humanity, all society. Uh, but then three chapters into your book there, the Bible that you're holding, uh, everything went skawonk. Sin comes into the world, and sin ruins the souls of mankind, but in turn, it also ruins uh, the family function, the family structure, uh, and, and right away, uh, chapter four of Genesis, uh, brothers are killing each other, and uh, in chapter three of Genesis, husbands and wives are pointing the finger at each other. It just, it goes south fast. Everybody who's read the Bible knows that that's true. And so, uh, what do we do when sin comes into a, a thing that God meant to be perfect and, and created for uh, his glory? What do we do? We, well, we need help. And so God, in his wisdom, and his grace and mercy and love for us, he sends Jesus uh, to be our savior, to save us from our sins, so that uh, relationally, positionally, we can be uh, re-tethered to the God who created us. Our, our, our guilt can be uh, washed away and we can be restored to our relationships with God. But it doesn't stop there. The gospel is the redeemer of, of not just our relationship with God, but our relationships with each other. It's God's desire that we would honor and love each other and that, and that Christ would flow through us to our husbands and our wives, to our kids, to our parents, to our brothers and our sisters. And, and listen, if you're in a situation where family isn't that big of a player in your life, he, he wants to, Jesus wants to redeem every relationship that you and I have. He wants to be the one who brings peace between God and our fellow man. 
So how does that happen? Well, we listen to what he says in his word. We adopt his teachings. We become more like him in his character. And here in Matthew chapter 5, he basically just uh, opens up the book of his life and says, here's who I am. And he he puts it in in terms uh, of blessing. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the the meek. He he uses all of these characteristics that are, are him. And he says, blessed are you if you do these things that I do. Jesus uh, wants us to be like him. And listen, I've told you this throughout this series. This is not a series where you come and you load up for bear so that you can tell someone else in your family, you need to do this. You know, Mark said this this morning. Jesus said this 2,000 years ago. You better get on it. No, this is a series where all of us uh, bring that mirror and we let the scriptures reflect us uh, to ourselves. And, and we, uh, we ask God to see if there's any wicked ways in us, if there's anything in us that isn't lined up with him. And then we take uh, a, a transformed and a renewed uh, Christ-likeness into our marriages and into our parenting and into our childing or whatever it is. And we allow Christ to flow through us. And then that makes the changes in our family that need to occur. Are you with me? So with that as our preamble, now let's uh, continue to Walk through the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 1. I've read it to you every week. I'm going to read it to you again, seeing the crowds. Uh, Jesus, he went up on the mountain. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and he went and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, and, and we've said all these. I'll say them real quick. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Last week we talked about the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We said that mercy is this thing uh, that we give to people in their misery so that they're miserable no more. So that's the objective side. If we see someone in need of help, we we provide it, just like the good Samaritan got off his uh, mount and provided for the man who had been beat up on the road out of Jerusalem. Uh, We should do that in our families. Uh, We should uh, just look around and see who needs help and provide that for each other. But we, we took the second part of the mercy idea, which is forgiveness. It's the subjective part. If someone messes with you, then mercy dictates that you extend forgiveness to them. That one's the harder part. Is anybody with me on that? Uh, but that's what mercy entails. It's what's, it's what's been given to us by God. God has been merciful to us. If you don't believe that, uh, let me affirm that to you. Every one of us, hot mess, and every one of us needing desperately God's grace and God's mercy, he gives us bucket loads of both. And so because we've received mercy, we should extend mercy. Because we've been forgiven, we should be forgivers. Because uh, we have been lifted out of our miseries, we should be instruments of God in alleviating the misery of other people. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Today we're going to talk about this one, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And what we've done, if you haven't been here, is we've given each one of these emotions. So we're going to stand up and do those real quick. Everybody, here we go. Let's get aerobic around here. Let's see if you can remember any of these things. You may remember what the sign for blessed is. It's a thumbs up. Blessed, right? So my hope is, is that you'll be able to memorize these verses, uh, that you'll see each other, your bumper stickers on your cars or whatever. If you don't have one of those, go grab one. But you'll see each other in traffic, and you'll just start in the window, just start going... <laughs> You know, so that you can, you know, just have that church moment outside of this place. So here we go. What's the first one? Blessed are there. Anybody remember? Poor, right? You make the zero and you, you put it up your face. Poor, you got nothing. Blessed are the poor in? Yeah, because that's the dove thing. Uh, for they shall, or for the, theirs is the what? Kingdom. Yeah, not moose, the kingdom, yeah. Of 
heaven. One more time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Ble- the second one, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be what? Oh, nice work, Ken. Way to get a squeeze in, bro. Nice. They shall be comforted. What's the third one? Blessed are the meek. Good. This is the one where you're in a position of strength, but you choose it not, and you say after you, God first, others second, me last. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Right? Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, make the halo, righteousness, right? For they shall be Nice, you guys are getting it satisfied. Last week we talked about this one. Blessed are the merciful. One more time. Blessed are the merciful. From your heart you give of yourself. For they shall receive, one more time, mercy. One more time on that. Blessed are the merciful, So for they shall receive mercy. Here we go, pure in heart. Blessed, everybody make the, the number one. We're going to find out that purity means single-mindedness, a focused life. Blessed are the pure, and then make a heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall double, double zeros, glasses now, see, and then point up. God, all right? One more time. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Nice work, everyone. Everybody sit down. We'll do that one more time next week and be done. Some of you are like, finally. (sighs) You're good sports, everybody who does it. I appreciate it. And it does help learn. This is like proven educationally. If you start moving and grooving while you're uh, learning stuff, uh, you learn it better. Uh, Today we're just going to talk about this one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And our basic premise is this, is that my best life and your best life is found when we are pure in heart. When we're pure in heart. Now, some of you are like, okay, cool. What's that mean? What's pure in heart mean? Well, that's what we're going to spend our time talking about. I'm glad you asked. We already sang about it uh, from the Old Testament here in Psalm 24, verse 3. Uh, it says this, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Uh, he, was, he who has clean hands. So God's concerned with our actions. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But he who has a pure heart. He who does not lift his soul to what is false, that's uh, pertaining to idols, you don't worship another god besides God, and who does not swear deceitfully, who doesn't make promises that he doesn't keep, he will receive blessing, it says in verse 5, from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. That's where I get this idea. If we live with a pure heart, God's blessing rests on it. The, The best life we can live is a life lived with a pure heart. But before we get to what a pure heart is, I want to at least make this uh, uh, point before we move on. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the pure in hands. He could have said, blessed are the pure in hands. In fact, many of you, if you were coming here, that might be be the one you you would guess he would uh, ask of us. Make sure you do the right things. And and certainly, just like in Psalm 24, God wants us to do the right things. He, He wants us to continue and in uh, honoring him with our actions, right? But that's not his primary. It's not his chief goal for us to just be um, behaviorally better. He doesn't ask us to have, or, or ask us to be pure in hands. He says, be pure in heart. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Now, this whole idea of 
uh, clean hands, he, he takes up with the Pharisees. Look what he says in, in Matthew chapter uh, 23, verse 25. It's this chapter where Jesus, uh, he's, he's kind of ending uh, or coming to the end of his life, and he's just going for broke. Yeah, he, he never really, you know, pulled punches or, or, or minced his words. But uh, here as he uh, is drawing nigh to the uh, last week of his life, uh, he's, he's just teaching with more boldness. And so seven times here in the, uh, the, the 23rd chapter of Matthew, he confers in his teaching woes upon uh, the religious elite in the Jewish faith, the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, the scribes were the copyists of the Jewish scriptures. The Pharisees uh, were the, well, the creme de la creme. And, and you, know what they, you know why they were the creme de la creme, right? It's because they did everything by the book. They were the one percenters. They had enough money and enough clout, enough position, and enough uh, you know, lands to be able to uh, you know, hold to everything that the law required, all 600 and some laws. Uh, they, were, they were pros at keeping the laws, and they felt uh, very highly of themselves for doing so. So Jesus attacked them in their pride, and he said these things to them. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Everybody knows what a hypocrite is, right? Someone who's wearing a mask, someone who's um, you know, uh, kind of like a magician, you know, saying, look over here, and they're doing something else over here. Uh, that's what the Pharisees were. They were uh, two-faced, uh, hypocrites. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. I'm glad he goes to the, the, the breakfast table here because it's such a great illustration of what he's saying uh, about uh, actions. He says, good on you that you got great actions, but, but the insides of you are just dirty and nasty. I forgot my spoon in my office. Can everybody picture me holding a tablespoon? What, what, I'll get to that in a second. But what he just said is, is hey, uh, <laughs> you think all that you need to do is clean the outside of your cup. Like, uh, uh, has anybody got that coffee cup you've been using for years, right? And uh, like, I don't know where Jody is, but Jody Sauer has this coffee cup. She, she works here at our church, has for years. But she has this coffee cup. The inside of it looks like a science project. I'm just telling you. It's time to retire this cup. There's just coffee rings, and it's just not white anymore in there. The outside of it, though, if you run it through the dishwasher and all that stuff, looks great. But the inside, not so much. I'm not drinking out of that cup. She could tell me left and right that it's clean. No, thank you. Not drinking out of it, right? So Jesus goes to everybody's breakfast table, and he says, hey, if someone hands you a dish that's on the outside clean, but you look at it on the inside, it's dirty. Are you going to eat out of it? Which side of the plate do you eat off of, the bottom or the top? Yeah, if I'm eating out of, the, out of a plate and you say, hey, look, the bottom's clean, but the top is nasty, I'm not eating off that plate. If I took a spoon, this is the spoon I forgot, but everybody see it? It's right here. Everybody see the spoon? If I take the scoop end of that spoon, I stick it in my mouth, and then I pull it out and I take the end of the spoon and I wipe it off very meticulously and then say to you, here, here enjoy your ice cream. Are you going to use that spoon? No, because it's messed up. But... It's equally messed up to think, as long as I do the right things, I'm righteous. Jesus says that's not true. Good actions are good, but good actions apart from a clean or pure heart are useless to someone. He says in verse 26, you blind Pharisees. What does, what does the promise come to those? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God, right? Interesting that in this uh, con condemnation, he calls the Pharisees blind. They don't see God. They're not seeing what's really going on here. You blind Pharisees, he says, first, clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside 
also may be clean. He infers there that basically if you want truly good um, actions, your heart has to be the place from whence they begin. If you just do them uh, so that you can be seen doing them or you just do them so that you can you know, soothe your own conscience, but it, they don't flow from a, a heart's desire to honor and glorify God, then they're somehow um, limited. Uh, they may bring about great things, but, but their effect, their true righteousness is limited. Now, a lot of times we think we can clean the visible and just um, ignore the unseen, and that's just not true. It's like me telling my kids when they were little uh, to go clean their rooms, right? I did this when I was a kid, too. I can't just bag on my children, uh, but you probably did it, too. Uh, you want to go out and play? It's a Saturday. Uh, your, your friends are coming over, but your parents say to you, you got to clean your room before you can go do any of those things. And so you go in there, and you do the quickie, right? You do the quick clean. And here's what the quick clean entails. Everything that's been amassed on your floor, you just start going all Zamboni with it underneath the bed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just kicking thing. No, and that's where I'm going next. And if you can't fit it all under the bed, then you take the rest of the piles and you start picking them up and you slide open those bifold doors on your closet and you just shovel. You just start shoveling all that stuff in. You can barely shut the doors, but the floor's clean, the bed's made. And so you call your parents in for inspection, right? Like my kids would do. See? Can I go? The parents are smart, aren't they? Most of them. And then though there's no way you could have properly placed all of those things back where they're supposed to go in the 10 minutes that it took you to do that. So what do they do? Well, they start lifting up bedspreads. Okay, before you go, I need all of this wherever it's supposed to go. And then they go to the closet and they say, oh, just as I thought. Uh, before you go, I need all of this in its proper spot. But we do that in our spiritual lives too. Hey, God, Sunday, look at me. Woohoo! Singing, praising, pin the, pin the prayer request to the cross, serve next door. Woohoo! And then we go off to the rest of our lives and live like God doesn't even exist. Sundays, put it all in the closet, shove it all under the bed. But it's those hidden spaces that reveal the condition of our hearts. God cares about motives, and our motives come from our hearts. He goes on here in Matthew 23, and he says another woe to these scribes. He says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Uh, basically, in the Jewish faith, if you talk, touch something that was dead, you became instantly, ceremonially unclean. You just didn't go near dead stuff. Animals, I mean, there was a certain way that you would have to butcher your meat so that you wouldn't become unclean. There was all kinds of rules about not touching dead things. But Jesus says to these Pharisees, the creme de la creme of the Jewish faith, you're a bunch of, of, of dead, corpsey, nasty, unclean men. He says, you look great on the outside. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, they don't bury you down. They kind of uh, hollow out a little space in the ground because it's all rock. It's desert. And then they kind of bury you up. So all of the graves, if you can picture them, are kind of elevated. They're like boxes above the ground. And so everybody's kind of in a tomb. Uh, it may not be a big tomb like a mausoleum like we see in some of our old graveyards, but, but everybody's kind of in their own box. And, and the way that they would, they would try to jazz up their graveyards is they'd go out there with a can of Sherman Williams and they just try to paint up their, their gravestones or their grave boxes that they're 
deceased uh, you know, relatives would live in, and, and it would make it look nicer. But Jesus, I don't know if he's standing by a graveyard when he's saying this or, or you know, used one as a reference, but he says, hey, guys, you know the graveyards where every, every one of those uh, you know, little tombs is painted white? That's you guys. Everything looks good out here, but inside, there's nothing going on. You see, uh, here in these verses, go back for me. Uh, he, he says, you're like whitewashed tombs. Um, you, you, you wish to appear uh, beautifully outward. Uh, you want everybody to think the very best of you, but you're dead inside. Uh, I think a lot of times when we do things, the right things, we could do it for what it brings us rather than for how it glorifies God. I mean, maybe, you know, in our funkiness, we aren't thinking that, but a lot of times, even as we serve or do righteous things, we show mercy and and, and do all these other things that Jesus is commanding, we do them with funky motives. We seek to put the light on us rather than on him. Jesus says, you know what, Pharisees? The days of keeping the laws so that you look beautiful, they're over. Because I'm calling you. I'm calling you out, man. I see through your visible things to the unseen. Your hearts are dead. I used to shovel snow in Canada. Everybody grew up in Florida. That's like solid rain. It uh, gets really cold. And, um, oh, sorry, that's, that's demeaning. Anyway, my point, though, is that I used to live in, in Canada. I was, I, my parents were both Canadian, so I lived there for a while. And, and, uh, and, and you know, once it started snowing, it just kept snowing. And, and it was like mowing the lawn. You would have to go out after every snowfall and dig your car out and dig your walkway out and all that stuff. Uh, so uh, early on, uh, I was given the shovel Eight or nine years old, here you go, bud. Make it happen. How much am I getting? You're going to get to eat tonight. Have fun. There you go. <laughs> and so off I'd go, and I'd shovel the driveway. Well, one day, uh, Mom uh, says to me, hey, you know what would probably be a great idea? Is if you went across to Mrs. Campbell's house, and you shoveled her driveway, too. I was like, that's a horrible idea, Mom. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud. But she handed me the shovel, and off I went. And I'm crossing the street, and I'm thinking to myself, this is just going to rip. But then I remembered my cousins, older cousins, I was one of the youngest, but my older cousins had a business, like a, a cottage industry, where they would actually, you know, like mowing yards in a, in a neighborhood, they would go up and down the streets of their neighborhood, and they would get people to pay them to shovel their driveways. And so I was thinking, oh, mom's, mom must be, you know, looking out for me. She's trying to get me a job. Uh, this is going to be my first paid anything. So I go over there, and I shovel that thing out. I mean, I am just digging. And I go up to the front door, and I don't know if Mom was waving across the street to Mrs. Campbell, and she's all proud of her, you know, generous son who's over there at the age of nine shoveling out this older lady's, you know, driveway. And they're waving, you know. But I go up to the door uh, to say, you know, hi to Mrs. Campbell, and she's starting in with a whole, oh, Mark, thank you so much for shoveling out my driveway. And I stick out my hand. And I say, that'll be $5, please. <laughs> I don't know what, she, uh, you know, if she looked out over at my mom who was waving, you know, she's like, really? You know? So she goes to her purse, she gets me, you know, I think it was purple, the Canadian five was purple then. Anyway, she gave me a, a $5 bill and I walked across the street all proud. And mom says, how'd it go? And I said, I took the, you know, you ever done this? Pop the five, you know, pop, pop. <laughs> I was like, went pretty good, you know? She said, where'd you get that? I took it from Mrs. Campbell. She says, no, you didn't. <laughs> Grab me by my hood. Anybody have one of those hoods? 
right across the street, gave the five back, shoveled that woman's driveway for the rest of the winter, just so you know. (laughs) But my mom was trying to teach me right away, when we give, when we serve, when we do, it's not for our benefit. In this case, it was for the benefit of Mrs. Campbell. But here's what we do as Christians. We do, we, we, we comply to all the rules, and in our little funk, in our hearts, we think, well, this is going to look good on me. This is going to provide for me. In fact, in our homes, we, we do good things for other people in our homes uh, with this little scoreboard, you know, kind of up behind the back of our heads. We're running a count. I'm up three good deeds to your one. You owe me. And we make our service conditional. Uh, this is not how it's supposed to be. It wasn't how it's supposed to be for the Pharisees. It's not how it's supposed to be for us. Certainly we should do good things, but we should, good do, thing, we should do good things with good motives and a pure heart. Jesus also didn't say, uh, keep going, uh, he could have said, you know, blessed are the pure in head. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. He could have said, blessed are the pure in hands or blessed are the pure in head. And we would understand that too. Uh, can everybody agree that everything starts with this gray matter up here? Like, I'm speaking to you right now, and your brain is doing the computations of understanding me or ignoring me, if that's what's happening. Um, but, but your brain's doing all the work. And, and from your brain, you decide whether or not you're going to do what I say or do what the Scripture says uh, and whether your actions are going to line up with the things that we're teaching today. Uh, the, your brain is the gateway for whether or not this stuff lands in your life. Uh, but Jesus is very clear uh, in his teachings and throughout the Scriptures that it's not just a battle of the brain. He says for us to love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul and our mind and our strength, everything's meant to be included, but he starts with the heart. And he says, listen, you can't just know about Jesus and do the things that you're supposed to do. There has to be a connection with your heart. And I know that in my life, when things are kind of dry or stale in my relationship with Christ, it's not a problem of me knowing what I'm supposed to do. In fact, I'm probably teaching lots of you stuff, or most of you can hear stuff that you already know. This is not new information, that we're supposed to be pure in heart. I've covered this before, okay? So it's not a mind issue, and it's certainly not a deeds issue. I know what I'm supposed to do. I've done it before. But somewhere, I've become disengaged in my heart, and that's led me to a dry place in my relationship with Jesus Christ. If I had to put it to you this way, certainly our, our heads and our hands and our hearts all need to be engaged, but like I just said, the, uh, the indoor of your life is your head, okay? <clears throat> and the outcomes of your life are in your hands or in your mouth, right? Input comes in, you decide what you're going to do, and then you decide how you're going to live. Here's what my hands are going to do. Here's what my, mo- my uh, voice is going to say. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. I could do all of this. I'm, I'm worried about losing the end. <laughs> But the point is, is that God wants our heart. And and here's how it's supposed to work. Everything that comes in, everything I'm saying to you, everything you read from God's word, everything that that you sense in your prayers from him, it's supposed to come into your head. You, You do all the computations, and then it goes straight to your heart. And when it hits your heart, your heart should be yielded, surrendered to the one true God, to where the information comes in, and you're like, yeah, God, I gotta do that. 
So many times I, I get the information, I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. You know why? Because my heart, it's not surrender to him, it's surrender to me. I don't know if I want to do that because it's going to cost me to serve. It's going to require of me things that I don't want to give up. And so in comes the information, it hits my heart, and then that dictates what I do. Either I serve God or I don't. I honor him with my family, my wife, my kids, or I don't. Got to have a strong heart so that the things that come in can truly come from there as they go out. I'm going to take the cards off now, that's okay. How you doing with that? The Pharisees knew everything. The Pharisees did everything. But the insides of them, dead as a doornail. Oh, that, that we would get that. And listen, I'm not saying that we you know, short Jesus on the, on the knowledge side or that we, 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 we pull up and we don't do everything that he's calling us to do with our actions. But what I really desire for us as a church is that this church would be pure in heart. And that everybody in here, regardless if you've been following Jesus for a long time or a short time, everybody in here would understand that it all starts here at the core of who we are with our love for Jesus. I'm going to keep going. If you can skip down to the next blank for me, Matt. I want to just uh, talk about this. The, the, the whole fact that the heart is where our loves live. The heart is where our loves live. Um, uh, we, we've associated the heart with love, uh, Valentine's Day, right? Like even if you send the emoji, if you write the word love on your phone, uh, usually a heart comes up. Uh, when we say we love something, we associate it with the heart, and rightly so. Uh, heart is where our loves live. It's where, it's where we treasure things. Another word for love is treasure. If you treasure something, you love it. You know, I was out here yesterday at the car show. Anybody come up to the car show? Yeah, it was some crazy fun out there. Uh, there's a lot of people with cool cars in our area, just so you know. I'm not one of them. I thought about popping up the hood on my, you know, 2008 Honda Accord. I just didn't think that would be very much attended. But anyway, um, but there's all these beautiful cars. And, and, and guys put hours and ladies put hours and hours into these cars. Why? Because they don't care about them? No, they're their treasures. I mean, they bring it to a, a church parking lot to show the rest of the community. Why? Because it matters to them. It's something that they've given themselves to. That's, that's where the heart comes into play with us. It's the things that we love. It's the things that we treasure. Jesus spoke about this in this same sermon in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven where neither wrath or moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, basically, you got a choice. I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus says, don't treasure the, the created stuff. Treasure the creator. Don't treasure the stuff that's here. It's going to pull you away from the stuff that really matters. It's the stuff of heaven. And then he says this great line. If you don't memorize any other verses this year, memorize this one. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things that you love will steer your life because your heart ultimately steers your life. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I was sitting watching a show with uh, my beautiful wife, Eleanor. It's called Tiny House Nation. Has anybody seen this? Uh, it's basically people moving back into campers. That's what this is. They make them out of woods now. Uh, make them out of wood and stuff like that. 
but it's just people saying, I'm tired of having to pay the mortgage on a huge house. I'm going to just buy something for cash, and I'm going to live in a camper. But uh, good on them, right? But if you go from a huge house to a 300-square-foot uh, or 200-square-foot camper, you've got to get rid of some crud, right? And so part of these shows is everybody saying, here's what I'm going to let go. Here's what I'm going to get rid of. Here's the things I don't really need. And so at the end of the show that we watched the other night, Eleanor turned to me and says, hey, if we got into a small house, um, what would you, you know, want to get rid of? And then what usually happens when she asks me a question is she starts answering the question herself because that's, you know, she just wants to share those things too, but she starts with a question. So she starts answering the question. And she says, well, I'd give up all the, you know, this, this, and this, and this, but I couldn't give up dad's ukulele because it was sitting there on the, on, the, on the shelf in one of our you know, rooms that we were sitting in. And he says, you know, that's just sentimental to me. I gotta have, dad used to play that when we were growing up. We'd all sing as a family to the songs he would play on his ukulele. I've got to have that ukulele. And then she looked up, and in our living room, there's this uh, you know, light, pendant light that was uh, over the piano in her mom's house all of her life. Um, and it can go away tomorrow for me, just so you know. I don't really care about that light. <clears throat> but, uh, but she loves that light. And, and wherever we go, that light's going to be in the main room of our house because it just means that much to her. She treasures it. She, she looked at me and she said, what do, what do you treasure? And I, I pointed at her. All right, good play, fellas, just so you know. <laughs> if you want to learn, the Holy Spirit did a number on me that, that, that moment right there. And I answered that one right. <laughs> but it was true. Because, like, I'm not a sentimental guy. I don't, I don't have a lot of things from my childhood that I care about. And, and I can do out without just about anything. As long as she's in the box wherever we live, I'm cool. Wherever that is, just as long as you're there, right? And so we had this conversation. But, but my point is, is that it all points to the things that matter to us. And, and the things that matter to us matter to God. Like, like he loves to see us do things for him. He loves to, to know that we're thinking right in our doctrine and all those things. But what he really wants is our heart. You know, that, that's what makes us different from every other religion. Every other religion says, here's the rules, here's what you need to know, now go do them. That's, that's what makes a religion a religion. It's a set of standards that you comply to. But, but the faith that we're called to, this faith in Jesus, is, is certainly it's got its standards, certainly it's got its doctrines, but what it says is, is that Jesus wants your heart. He wants you to know him personally for you to be in relationship with him eternally. He wants this. And from this will come your actions, your thoughts, your words. There's a little problem, though. Uh, the Bible's real clear. Because of sin, our hearts are messed up. It says in Jeremiah 17, amongst other places, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Other translations say it's desperately wicked. Now, who can understand it? Jeremiah has just thrown his hand up. He's, he's prophesying to Israel at a time where the impending judgment is coming, and he's just like, I'm trying to speak to these people's hearts, but their hearts are just dead set against God and all the truth that I'm giving them. How do, how do I handle this? How do I turn a heart? It's wicked. It's broken. Uh, it, it makes us really wonder, what, what does Jesus mean when he says pure? We know that the heart matters, that it's the home where our loves, where loves live, and, and it's what he wants from us most. But how do we make it pure? Well, we've got to understand what the word pure means. It's the Greek word katharoi. Everybody say katharoi. Katharoi. 
Um, it, it's, a, it's a word that's often translated in the scriptures as either clean or pure. Clean or pure. And it carries with us uh, these ideas. Clean, first of all, as in without clutter. Without clutter. I grew up, uh, like I was telling the story about my kids in their rooms, I grew up clutter blind. I still kind of suffer from it a little bit. Uh, but I, I, I just don't see clutter. I just don't, like, it's not a problem for me. If you came to my desk right now, some of you, you just couldn't work there. Because I'm a stacker. Yeah, some of you are like, oh, I can't go to church here anymore. <laughs> uh, you can see the surface of my desk, but uh, I, I just, I, I get books, especially books. I get lots of books to read, and so I, I have a stack of books that I want to read, and then on the other side, I have a stack of papers that have come from all the meetings that we've had and all the things that I needed to tend to in 2017, and, and, and in front of me, I got my computer, but there's stacks of office supplies, and I got two in and out things, you know, with those trays, and those are all full. I'm a stacker. I'm, 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 I'm clutter blind. I don't see it. Uh, my kids have uh, picked that up genetically. If my son Ben comes home, we call him the tornado. Because he just comes through the house. And I'm like, I, I don't even see him bring these things in. I don't know where they're coming from. But he comes in and then his stuff is just everywhere instantly. Uh, my, da- my daughter, we, we, uh, she was messing up our, our, our guest room and so we, we put her in one of the smaller rooms. Well, she, now she's annexed that room, the guest room, and the bathroom. And her stuff is everywhere. Right? And it's because she's clutter blind. Totally clutter blind. Can't see it until we point it out to her and make her pick it up. Okay, uh, just so you know, your heart is cluttered. By default, that's what Jeremiah said. Our hearts are, are, are deceitful. They're wicked. They're cluttered. They're full of, of the things that this world and that uh, sin has brought to us in our sin nature. And, and what the mission is, is to deal with the clutter. So here's my question to you this morning. Is, is what's cluttering up your heart? What affections uh, reside in your heart that are not of God? I'll tell you one of them right away. The, the first one that every one of us here deals with is you have a strong love for yourself. You love you real well. Probably better than anybody else in the world. And, and when we love ourselves more than we love God or we love the people in our homes, that's just a formula for mess. That's a formula for trouble. And so we have to wake up every morning and, and die to self. Get up on that cross like it tells us in Galatians 2.20 and be crucified with Christ all over again. So that I no longer live for me, but I live for him. And he lives through me. And my love is his first. There's clutter. Like I said, as we were learning the motions, there's this, this, this singular mentality that comes in this word katharoi, this word clean or pure. It's, it's singular in its focus. Here's, a, here's basically what it means. It's, it's used of like... A, Folds, like who, who, who made their bed this morning? Here, we'll find the clean people in here. Here we go. Here we, okay, they're there. Everybody look around. This is what it is to be clean. Everybody, okay. Um, but if you make your bed every morning, I was taught to make my bed so that a quarter could bounce off it. I still don't get that, but that was basically a military thing. My father and other actually bounced a quarter, but I had to smooth out all, everything had to be tight and smooth so that it, it just looked like a clean surface. When you looked in and on it, there was no wrinkles, nothing that would catch your eye, Right? And, and when you think about a pure heart, that's what you want to think of. Smooth, no disruptions, nothing hidden or wrinkled. It was used to, to speak of, um, you know, a flat surface, like a piece of paper. Like, this is how we're supposed to be in our hearts. No wrinkles. But here's what we often do. Well, I'm going to be clean and pure over here, but I'm going to start folding over this part of my life because, well, that's for me. 
this is what I'm going to keep from God. I do this all the time here. I'm like, this is how we, we live. Here, God, you can have everything, but I'm keeping this part. Well, this is what these folds are. I'm just going to fold this over. And pretty soon we get really used to folding over parts of our life. You can have every other relationship I have, God, but you can't have my relationship with my wife because she and I, we're just going to duke it out. You can't have my job. You can't have my Saturdays. All of a sudden, what's supposed to be this pure, unwrinkled, um, holy surrendered heart is kind of this crumpled up, wadded up, hard to get some Jesus through heart, Right? That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, let's no longer conform to the patterns of the world, but let's be transformed by the renewing of your minds, right? Let God come back into your heart and fill it with himself. Let him take the wrinkles out, uncrease the folds, and get you to a point where in your relationships you're singularly focused on him as you love your spouse. You're singularly focused on him as you love your kids. The last thing is uh, that this cleanness and pureness, uh, purity has this idea of wholeness. It's full. There's a fullness to it. Like, uh, uh, like you fully, you're fully absorbed with God. Uh, if you've ever been in a position as a follower of Jesus Christ where you feel kind of like out of sorts with him, you're probably dry. You know, you read the psalmist and he says, like, you know, I feel like I'm in a dry and weary land. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul hungers after the earth, longs for you. Uh, we talked about it in, in that earlier beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. There's this, there's this whole filling that's supposed to be happening as we follow Jesus Christ. And so uh, you should have filling points, times where you can come in and absorb who Jesus is. Because as you absorb him, you go back out and you bring his goodness and you serve and you love the world around you, and then you come back to him wherever it is that you refill, and you do it again. And this is, this is like, you know, like the instructions on a shampoo bottle, right? Uh, rinse, lather, repeat. You just keep doing it. And as you do that, as you, as you uh, find spots where you can absorb the truth of God with the people of God and fill your heart uh, with the goodness of God, then you go from having that, that fullness, that, that absorption, and you take your life to your families, to your jobs, to your schools, to wherever you are, and God flows through you because he's filled your heart. Lots of times people come to church, and I'll close with this. They want a list. I'll give you a list. How do you get pure? Uh, it says in James chapter 4, verse 7, uh, submit yourselves therefore to God. All right? That would be the first thing, surrender. We exist to surrender God around here. Uh, res resist the devil. That's, that's the clean up the clutter stuff. Get the, get, the, get the stuff that's not supposed to be in your heart out. And the devil will flee from you, it says in verse 8. It says, uh, draw near to God. You, I'm doing a list here. Is everybody picking up the list, right? Submit yourself to God. Uh, clean up, resist the devil. Uh, James says, hey, draw near to God. Be around him. Be in his word. If you don't read the Bible yet, start. If you don't understand what it's saying there, ask. Find someone who can help you with it. Uh, if you don't pray yet, I'm discipling a guy I hear at our church and and he's just not in the practice of praying. He, he doesn't mind it when I do, but he's just, you know, he's kind of new in his faith, and he's just never learned to talk to God. I was like, dude, that's, that's, that's the stuff. you gotta, you got to figure that out because in your prayers you can ask God for wisdom, and it says in James that he'll give it to you if you ask believing, right? So uh, draw near to God. Come to church. Hey, everybody watching online, come to church. 
Uh, here's why. Because when you come to church, you, you, you hear the same message, but you're around God's people. And we're going to give you free carbs so that you can talk to each other, but not just about business and stuff like that, but so that you can encourage each other in the faith. You can find those people in this world that you can link arms with and you can walk in Christian love with, and they can feed you, and, and at times you can feed them, and it, it's how it's supposed to work. The, the Christian thing's a team sport, right? So you find places where you can you know, be in the presence of God and his truth and his people, and that's, that's, that's how you draw near to God. Draw near to God, you'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Do the right thing, certainly. Being, don't just have full hearts that, that lead to dirty hands. Have full hearts that do, do right things, you sinners. Purify, but here it is, one more time. Another Bible author. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Get all the stuff out of there and have a heart for God and God alone. I told you my favorite verse in one of the sermons in this series. It's Matthew chapter 6, 33. Same sermon. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else in life. It'll be added to you. It'll be given to you as you have need. Just put them first. So that's my hope for us, my heart for us today. Because I want you to have a pure heart. And if you have a pure heart, this is what you can expect. When you have a pure heart, what you can expect in life, you can expect to see God. You can expect to see God. Some of you are like, I don't know, can I look at God's face? No, apparently in the Bible you can't. Like Moses wanted to look at God in the book of Exodus, and God says, ah, that's probably not a good idea. Tell you what, if you hide kind of like in this cleft of the rock so you kind of have like a pinhole camera, you can look through this little crack in the rock, and, and maybe I'll, I'll show you, you know, the, the back of me, and, and you won't, you know, fry. Uh, so that, that's the only indication we have from Scripture that anybody has looked in the face of God. Like Isaiah, he had this, uh, he had this dream, he was in the throne room of God, and um, he, he, just, he just put his face on the ground. He says, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. You can't have anything to do with me. We, we can't look in the face of a holy God. But you know what? We could still see him. So I'm like, How? Well, as we purify our hearts, as we surrender ourselves to him, guess what? God shows up in the things of our lives. The, 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 the circumstances around us change. The results in our life's experience, uh, they, they're different. We see uh, people who uh, uh, were not responding to us uh, as we love them and as we forgive them and as we serve them. They're like, what is up? And all of a sudden they start changing in response to the ways that we've changed. And because we've surrendered ourselves to God and purified in our hearts, we get to see God at work in the relationships and the stuff of our life. That's my hope for us. That's the promise that God gives and that's the song we're going to sing as we close. As Corey comes out, will you stand with us? We sang it as we finished our worship set. But this is, this is going to be our prayer. Normally I pray at the end of a service. This is our prayer this morning. We're going to ask God, like the psalmist did, to give us clean hands and to give us pure hearts. But everybody in here, I'm sure, wants to have the best life that they can have. They want uh, the best family that they can experience. They want the, they want the best. They want things to be as well as they can be, God, and, and we understand that the world has a formula for that. It, it doesn't work, but we recognize from your word that you say, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those who, uh, whose affections are for you, and then from that, their actions and their thoughts and their words follow. Lord, I pray that for every person in here, for people who don't know you yet, I pray that they give their hearts to you uh, for the first time and do that today. For people who've known you for a long time, I pray 
that they would uh, smooth out the wrinkles, they would uh, get rid of the clutter, uh, they would be reminded of how you're, you're meant to be the central core of their lives, and that from that, they go to their spouses, they go to their kids, they go to their parents, they go to their sisters and brothers, they go to the other relationships in their lives, and they give from the fullness of their heart uh, what you would give to those relationships. And then they're going to see God. Uh, they're going to see you. They're going to see you show up in those relationships. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day tomorrow. Remember what it's for. I'll see you next week as we finish up this series.